Get older, and they will not appreciate a fucking thing that you've and done. They'll hate us, yeah. Hate you, and it's like I always say, dude, this is a love-hate relationship. Mm. There's lots of hate. Mm. On that note, having kids and and having a love-hate relationship. A few weeks back, we were talking post-recording, and you were talking about not being taught how to shave. Yeah, and. It sort of put me on a path to think about all the things that I believe my father should have taught me also. But he never did. And I came up with quite a bit of things where, in my opinion, I believed my father should have taught me. And I thought, let me balance this out. And I realized that there were other things that he taught me that I didn't expect him to. And when I talk to other people, they, their dads never taught them. When I speak to the fathers of these guys, they would lament that these things that my father taught me was the furthest from their mind. Yeah. Which reiterated to me that as parents, we don't always get it right. No, no. We have no idea. Absolutely no idea. We have the opportunity to do great things. But at some point, you might go left when you should be going right. And you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. I sort of settled on the fact that I want my kids to be well-rounded, well-adjusted. I want them to be aware of the bullshit that is in society, what it tries to sell them. And I want them to make smart choices. And I'm reading... A number of books at the same time but one of the most interesting books that i'm reading it talks about letters written by famous people to their sons and the one that really grabbed me which which made me want to talk about this particular topic is it is something that was written by ronald reagan in the 70s to his uh, adopted son Michael on the eve of his wedding and he he had written a letter he was in the in the White House at the time no not yet not yet not I yet but he had he, he wrote the letter and he sent it to his son in California and I don't remember Ronald Reagan being a great wordsmith uh, I don't remember him being a great romantic of any sorts, having written anything really profound. But I found this letter to be mm. really profound. And it had a list of things in there that he wanted his son to know before he said he entered into nuptials with this with this woman. It didn't last very long. I think they they split up two years later or a year later or something like that. But he got married again in 75, and I think he then applied everything that he had learned or that he had uh, 
had the opportunity to process yeah, that was in the l- letter. Maybe a little bit older and also when he got through the practice marriage. Correct, yeah. correct. And I realized that he had this opportunity to do a little bit of soul searching at the same time. And I thought these th- this is very important because you need to be able to talk to a young man and and myself being part of the rites of passage programs that I have been over the years, I realized only now that these basic skills, it has to be taught in the home right from day one. My dad wrote a letter to me when I traveled overseas for the first time at 16 years old and I didn't understand it. You know, it was it was written in words that I didn't understand or appreciate at the time. And it said, you're about to put your feet under someone else's table. Years later, I understood or learned what the significance of those words are. When you're invited to someone's house and you put your feet under their table, they trust you enough to break bread with you. Breaking bread is something that is extremely important because it shows that I can show you some form of hospitality and respect because I can share my food with you. That's how much I think of you. Yeah. So my dad used that term and he said, you're going to put your feet under somebody else's table. All of that was in there, which I didn't quite understand at the time. And it brought me back to these various different things that people need to know. And I know you've tutored some people. There was Tyler that mm-hmm. uh, did a stint there. Where he was very young when he, yeah, yeah. When he came to no, you. I had a, 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 a swathe of apprentices, which um, a lot of them were broken families or, or, or very different kinds of families. Um, and I became very much a mentor in, in more aspects than one although teaching them tattooing was obviously the basics, but there was a lot of um, social understanding and trying to help them become men, trying to understand finance, try to understand business, try and understand respect and honor and, and those things which which we've tried to do in, in many many instances. But the, the thing is that they always revert back to the teachings they gathered before they got to me, which yeah. kind of spoilt a little bit of it. Um, but it was nice to be able to share some of that kind of father-like uh, status, even though at that point I wasn't yet a father. So um, this is now 30 years ago. Yeah. So my son is now turning 17. So it's not, it's not something I understood. But when I became a father, I did understand the fact that we don't know what we're doing. Mm. Parents have no idea. We, we, we have a, we have, a, we're given a book, uh, which is the care of the child, mm. but it's blank and we have to fill it in as we go. We have to understand what it is this child needs, how we get this child to the finish, because the one right next to it, a year older, two years younger, four years younger, whatever it is, it's a completely different book. And you're not writing left to right, you're writing top to bottom and upside down and back to front in invisible ink. So <laughs> you, can't, you can't compare the books, they don't work. It, it doesn't, doesn't work. Yeah. Um, the only way the book works for both children is if you hit them on top of the head with it. Yes. Yeah, that's the only thing that's consistent. I, I think the, the realist or the dawning of it for me 
was we were on a motorcycle trip and we were in College Thorpe. And right at the top of Main Street was this uh, antique shop. Mm, it was like a, a antique curios and, place. Yeah. yeah. And in there was a, a, a handbook that had been written by Nelson Mandela and uh, Desmond Tutu. I think you bought one. Yeah, I bought a co- I bought a couple of copies. There was uh, there was a few day. Um, it was transcripts from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, mm-hmm. but uh, with the signed off um, understandings from Tutu and Mandela on the on the covers of. But there was one in there that gave practical examples of how we were going to build this nation, how we were going to fix these th- things that they that they suggested we should be doing. Yeah. You know, they were talking about um, interaction between the various uh, ethnic groups. It had to take place. It had to, and it had to come to, it had to happen in a way where everybody was equal in whatever activity it was that they were engaged in. That was sort of a roadmap to fixing the inequalities of the yeah, past. I think it was to, almost like. Um, if I remember correctly, it was, it was almost like a preamble to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission for an idea as to what they intended the results to be. Mm. We want it to be balanced. We want it to be equal. We want it to be. We want everybody on the same page. But we first have to expose the bad things so that we can bring everybody to the same page mm. at, at, at the same level, instead of some victims and some some of the victimizers. Yeah. I think with 18 years with a child, you almost need the same thing. You need that roadmap. Mm. One of the most important things you need to do is you need to learn how to speak to strangers. Yeah. It's the basic, straightforward, no bullshit kind of, this is what I think you should learn. Guy with a white van and the sweets, <laughs> a packet of sweets, yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking about that guy. I'm talking about, or maybe I am, because if you don't, learn how to speak to people normally uh buy a bus ticket i don't know if anybody still takes the bus anymore but buying a bus ticket or going to the movies and and going to the concession stand and and telling the people what you want and getting what you want you need to learn how to do that because if you don't learn how to do that basic thing you won't be able to speak to the to the guy in the white van with a packet of sweets because you will allow that person to dictate every aspect to you exactly yeah. Yeah. You, you you have to be able to to say to that normal everyday people this is how i feel about it and it's all about speaking your truth you can't you can't negotiate a home loan never mind understand what it what it entails you can't ask someone for a job you can't complain about bad service you can't order at a restaurant and you can't send that order back if you don't like it because you haven't done that first thing you haven't yeah, learned how to speak you haven't learned how to speak yeah basic skill yeah. and i've been saying to everybody communication is key it's not key it's how do i speak with confidence that is what i should be teaching them i should yeah. be teaching them when you open up your mouth you have a responsibility for what comes out that's the first bell yeah. the second bell is when it comes out of your mouth, it must be deliberate and you must mean it. And I don't think that we as a society teach kids how to do that. Yeah, um, I, 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 this, isn't, this is one of the aspects that I have been 
trying to instill in, in my kids um, and it's something that I've picked up uh, through watching other parents and the interactions where kids are out of school, kids are in university and their mothers and fathers are still phoning me for appointments for their tattoos or phoning, phoning the hospital to make a doctor's appointment or it's like the woman that phoned me today she's like um, I want to get my daughter she needs to get a tattoo removed I'm like okay well tell her to get hold of me and we no no I'm, I'm, I'm doing it for her I'm like why mm. she needs to be here she needs to bring her ID I need to deal with her I can't you know we can't do this remotely it needs to be in between me and her mm. oh okay and then it's like mom and then I get the girl and she's all shy and she can't speak and, and obviously that's why she mm. never has to uh, and it's the simplest thing but I know for myself I struggled as a much younger person to get through this aspect because I was yeah. very shy, I was very reserved. But through the, the job, the interaction, I speak to everybody. Mm. And I mean everybody. And I can talk cuck, I can have deep, meaningful conversations. <laughs> we can talk about religion, we can talk about politics. I have good, strong opinions that I can back up. Um, and I think that is what you're saying is when you open your mouth, make sure what you say has value, it has worth, and you can stand up for it. Correct. Um, because if you don't stand up for it, then it's dogma. It's not really opinion. It's, it's all theoretical. Yeah. And I think for a large part today, young children, young people, they deal with the, with the theoretical side of life all the time. Mm -hmm. They don't actively engage in anything so that they can have ownership of experience yeah. and say I did this and I fell on my ass and now I can get up and I can I mean we literally did that growing up Yeah, you were sitting on the front handlebars and your friend would pedal and you would ride your bicycle for 6 or 7 kilometers Yeah, but you'd do that and you'd have an experience with your friend you'd be going somewhere and nobody would com be complaining you know, it, it you were sharing the experience, and and that growth for the relationship is in the experience. Correct, correct. Again, like you said, we were you sharing the experience. Uh, I, I think if we if we take some of the stuff that I've that I've looked at, um, talking to strangers on right on top of the list was one, complain effectively, um, and number three, which I think is so important, was self control. And the lady who listed everything is a psychologist, um, uh, Elena Max, and she goes through the whole process of what it is that you should be teaching a young child, geared towards all of that. And, and, and throwing tantrums, I think, is, it's for kids. It's yeah. for, for like, like young kids, toddlers. Yeah. And even and then, the, the, then I think for them it's more frustrating because they don't have the words. Yeah. So as an as a as a as an adult or even a young adult or or, a, or an older teen, you've got the words. You should be use using them. It. Yeah. <laughs> use them so that you can explain yourself, your frustration, your anger, your bitterness, whatever it is. But throwing yourself on the floor, it, how's that going to fix anything? And I mean, obviously that's the most basic level of a tantrum. But even sulking and, and storming off and slamming doors, that's, that's not using your words. Yeah. Uh, frustration needs to be dealt with, otherwise it festers and becomes, becomes uh, problems later in life. Yeah, my dad was um, military, so if he said something and you didn't like it and you overinflated your cheeks, <laughs> he was like, oh, 
do we have a tire pressure problem? What's <laughs> what's the story now? Yeah. And he just sort of like dig in at it where at some point you were sort of you would think, Okay, well, this guy's being a dick. Or you'd be like, you know, suck it up and just get it over and done with. Yeah, yeah. For him, he didn't care. It didn't matter to him because he had laid down the rule. Yeah. And the older I get, we had a conversation around the table this evening, that same sentiment, it's starting to rise within me. I'm 48 years old. I've done whatever I wanted to do. I started drinking and I stopped drinking and I've tried uh, to do to live my life in one particular way and then I switched over to a different particular way. I've learned that what I have been practicing for 10 years was the wrong thing, so I'm going to adjust and I'm going to do something else. So I'm 48 now and I'm still in a constant state of learnership which I'm happy for, but I can't make anybody else do anything that they don't want to. Yeah, but are you not learning and, and you're changing paths because you realize that some of the choices you've made were incorrect. 100%. So therefore you can see that these choices are incorrect, but that's only because you're owning your path. You're going, this was fun, but the consequences of this fun are not as much fun as the fun part. So let's trim that out. Let's move it sideways. But that is the process. We are learning. I'm Same. I'm still learning. I'm still learning every day. Yeah. Nothing is nothing is set in stone in any aspect of my life. Um other than I try to do what I say I'm going to do. Everything else, it can change. Correct. Um, and because it can change, it's malleable. It can fit into the new, the new pattern, the new shape, the new, the new ideas that, that come up in the world. And instead of being set in our ways and, and, and s- solid stone, we can, we can flow and move with the next aspect. And as the world changes and we find out that the eggs that we used to eat are now good for us or are they bad for us? I can't remember. I don't know where we are on that. Really? Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to Google it. Probably tomorrow it'll change. It's, a, it's a superfood, God yeah. damn it. It'll always be good for you. <laughs> it's just not good for the chicken, but it's good for us, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but those, those things are changing so much. But I think the, the process here is that we're experiencing it, we're living it, mm. And we're changing as it happens. Whereas a, a lot of younger people are only getting to experience stuff by watching other people do it. Yeah. Whether it's YouTube, whether it's watching people gaming, whether it's watching other people play games live or, or on, on screens. Um, people don't read books. They listen to books. Yeah. You know, the voices in your head, the characters, the the, the accents, that's all part of the the, the theory that you build into the book, whereas now you have somebody reading it, and it must be nice to have Sean Connery reading your book, mm. but it's then, it's his book, it's not your book, and you can't own that book because somebody else is reading it to you. Correct. Um, whereas now, if you read it yourself, you can add your own color, you can add your own flavor, you can mispronounce people's names completely through the entire book. Yeah. Um, the and not realize it until not realize until they, until, they, until, they, until they make a movie and then and then I find out her now her name oh, was Hermione I didn't know that <laughs> I thought her name was Hermione but it's that's the thing is that in my experience that's who she was yeah um, but it makes no difference because it's still my character and my experience of those characters is very different 
to the only one the people that have only ever seen it on TV. Yes. You know, they don't understand yeah. the, the the depth of character in the book is phenomenal in yeah. comparison to the movie. The, it it usually is. It's you also get the the, the sense you're talking about uh, Harry Potter. Um, I thought it was great. I can't read any anything that um, that J.K. Rowling is writing now. She's writing under a pseudonym. Uh, Robert Galbraith, yeah. Um, somebody gave me one of the books. They are, it's fucking long. They are really good, though. Yeah, but it's long, dude. It's, it's like it's, the, the one is like three thousand pages. Yeah, that's it's read it. It's a good book, dude. It's long, and there's seven of them, and they get longer and longer. So if you're reading the first one, it's uh, trust me on this. It is good. It's really good. Right. Her character development as Robert Galbraith is phenomenal. You but, can uh, you can smell. The tobacco. Yeah. You can see the, the stains. You can understand the creases in his jacket. The, that well, experience that's, but is... But that's the thing. Yeah. But it's those small little things, to bring it back to what we were talking mm. about, those small little things that she expand on, it's the same way how we develop as people, Yeah. as young people. I said to a kid the other day, just before school holiday started, Shook the shook the kid's hand and he gave me this very limp-wristed handshake. And I thought to myself, do I say something? Or do I just let it go? And I, th- I, I decided to say something because uh, I come from a strong Creole gentlemanly background where those skills were taught to me. Why am I shaking your hand? Why do you need to shake hands like that? Why does the web need to firmly fit in and why mustn't it be sort of all weak and limp-wristed and that kind of thing and my granddad used to say to me it's got nothing to do with the orientation of the person but it has to do with you receiving the power from the next man so if it is a a, a limp-wristed handshake there's a level of respect that you're not reciprocating mm. when you shake that person's hand from why we were a tie to why we salute. I knew why we saluted before I went in. You know the story about a knight raising his visor so that the other knight in the jousting would be able to see who he was fighting so that you could face your opponent. Incidentally, it is where face your accuser comes from. So these small little things that you teach a young man, it, it, it puts them on a road where they're able to find their voice, where they're able to find ways in which to describe what their success is going to be and how to achieve it. And if we don't do those things, if we don't teach a young man to shave with the grain, you may, on the underside of the chin, shave up as long as the last stroke that you do is back down again. If he doesn't know those kinds of things, if you haven't taught it to him, he will nick himself. He will have a razor bump. But he needs to learn these things. And if he learns that, he will learn that there is time and ceremony, for example. Shaving is not something that you do quickly. It is something that you do and you you apply deliberate attention to it. Same like making a decent cup of coffee. You need to learn how to brew a decent cup of coffee or a decent cup of tea. You need to know when the water is at its best, optimal time for you to be able to pour it from the kettle into the cup. And you need to learn, you can then further take that to 
how to pour a decent whiskey, when to add the ice, and or not, or not, <laughs> and when to slap somebody across the face when they add coke to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ice coke. What the fuck? <laughs> but you don't. You 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 need to learn these things so that you can become the master of your success. Mm. And I can promise you, when other people see you behaving in that particular way, the thought in their mind is that is the mark of a man who is determined to meet his success. Mm. He won't wait for it. He'll go and meet it. But is this now not your personal character development? Like J.K. Rowling says, Robert Galbraith, developing a character to such an extent that you can see their value, you can see their worth in a few sentences um, or in a few paragraphs or in her case, a couple of hundred pages mm. just to describe the person. But most modern youths and, and, and most people, because they don't read, they are now, a guy walks into a room, he's wearing a trench coat. That's what they see. Mm. They don't understand that it took J.K. Rowling's 100 pages to develop that character, that limp, the way he walks, the nicotine stains, the, the stubble, the scar on his eye, the things that you, you, that you have and it's just he walks into the room. Mm. So the books are, as you say, 3,000 pages long, but the TV series was so basic yes, because it was so simple to show and so almost like you know, the TV series was cuck yeah. because there was no depth to it. There was no, I wasn't invested. Um, and that's what this is with the character development of children mm. or, or, or young men especially is we are helping them develop a character that when they walk in the room, they have value they have worth and as you say people will recognize that mm. and hopefully help them or lift them up or be lifted up by them in, in the future i've seen this in in training people and i always make mention of it when i when i speak about moving tactically when we get to that portion of the training we're talking about moving tactically years ago i went to we went to Namibia and we did uh, a tactical training course uh, in Vintuk. And we spent almost an entire day trying to teach people how to move so that the shoulders were almost always level so that the, the pistol didn't bounce up and down, creating a mirage of the side picture so that you were, were floating as opposed to walking. And I spoke about being sure-footed. And for me, when I say you need to be sure-footed, I'm not only speaking about making decisions that are deliberate, but the very real, the, 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 the literal way in which you walk determines how deliberate you're going to be or how successful you're going to be in letting people know exactly what you think because if you're and i've seen it i've seen people who are not sure-footed in the I've, I've obviously also seen people who who fake being sure-footed yeah and then later on it reveals or it is revealed that they are not but i've seen people who are not sure-footed in the way that they stand in their body language and I look at their decisions that they make and as somebody who 
looks at people's behavior for a living. I look at the way that people do certain things and I make assessments of it. And I can tell you that every time when I say to somebody, walk on the street as if you own it. If you can do that, then you can walk across the world and you can speak the words and you can own the words. You you won't have to say sorry for what you say because you understand the responsibility and the weight of those words. Yeah. Very, very important, I think. And I think that our youth, they live too quickly. They want to grow up in a heartbeat and they want to be part of the success now, not even tomorrow. They want to be part of the success now, which means that they don't learn how to be sure-footed. They don't see the character development. And I think we're both arguing the same side of the of the same the same issue here, or we're having the same argument, yeah, yeah. and we agree on it. Because, yes, you need to read the book. Yes, you need to be aware of how that character comes forward as you are uh, putting... Uh, as you are reading the book, you need to see the development of the character. And because they don't, because they don't learn the basic skills, they don't learn, they don't know how an ATM works, or they don't know how a debit or a credit card works. They don't know what a repo rate is. These are basic things I think that they should know, and they don't know how to do those things. So when they get into the real world because they're always concentrating on what is cool and fashionable in their space, they can't operate in a world yeah. that requires them to be grown-ups. Yeah. And at 18, to have a deficit of skill that you should have at that time period, it just means that you delay your success because if you have one setback, it means that you have it, it'll take a hell of a lot for you to bounce back from that. Yeah, because yeah. if you're not set... You know, each one of those setbacks knocks you further back. And you, if you haven't got to a point, you know, if you haven't put your marker in the ground um, and established this place as mine or my understanding of this place as mine, you can be pushed way back beyond it and you've still got to fight back to that where you were. Correct. But if you've got that experience, you've got that understanding, you know where you were, it's easy to find it again. But yeah. if you never found it the first time, you won't find it. It'll be harder the second time. It's very difficult to also, I've hit that wall now, and I, and I know that you've hit that wall with apprentices some time ago already, <laughs> uh, years ago. Um, I've hit that, that wall now because I said I'm, I'm, I'm 48 years old. Um, I want to climb mountains, and I want to do the stuff that I want to do, and I find sometimes it's a struggle for me to motivate myself to say to a young man, you need to consider that what you're doing here is wrong for this reason. I'm dealing with a young man at the moment who just last year's school. He's done. It's months, brother. It's not long. Mm. It's, then he's done. And I'm frustrated with him because since last year, he's, he's trying to find every opportunity to sabotage himself. Yeah. And he he doesn't get it. Here we are talking about that at some point in your last year at high school, you transition from a kid to a man. 
the real world, the rules of the real world now applies to you. Yeah. We're not, we're not going to pick you up and wrap you up and give you a hug and send you on your way. You get to pay for the dumb shit you do. What did he do this year so far? He... I got a call from the principal. They said he picked up a a debit card. And this debit card that he picked up, he used it. And then the person who the who is the owner of this debit card then came back and said, okay, so my card went off. It was at the tuck shop. I'm going to go to the tuck shop. And they found him still with the card. And there was this whole argument here, but I picked it up. And... When I sat down and I spoke to his mother, she was driving the narrative. He didn't steal it. He picked it up. I said, that's not the point. The point is... The stealing is the using. Yeah. Yeah. It's not his. It means it's a financial crime. Yeah. It's theft. He is mere months away from being 18 years old. By the time this thing goes to court... Yeah, he is 18. Then he's, he's an 18. adult, yeah. Try it as such. Then, then what yeah. do you do? Not three months later, this kid picks up a round and he showed it to somebody and it was reported to the to the school. The police came. They took him to the police station. You know, it, it was a mess. It could, have, it could have been held. It could have been dealt with better on both sides. But the same argument. When he's got a round in his hand and he's at school, the principal has no other choice but yeah. to call the police. Because... The principal is not an armorer. It's not his job to confiscate live ammunition from anyone. Chances are he doesn't even know what it look what live yeah. ammunition looks like. But he has it in his hand. If three hundred kids walk past that round and eighty out of those three hundred saw it and they didn't pick it up, why did he? Because if he's hell bent on picking up rounds which he shouldn't, and picking up debit cards, which doesn't belong to him, he's hell-bent on sabotaging himself. Yeah. I think I'm frustrated with the thinking uh, of young kids, really. I, I don't look at much news uh, in the U.S. There's this new thing that's out, I think it's called Lafuzi, where kids are talking to each other on social media platforms and then they arrange for a day and then they all storm the mall thousands yeah i read about that somewhere up in joburg they did it or something yeah oh brother there was what that was the mall of africa and i think two weeks ago they did a canal walk now i've got a friend who he works in the security space so he's at the mall with a client and they are taking bonds to the bank. And kids, black clad, are storming the mall. He says, Ray, luckily enough, we were inside the bank. And my client was walking in to see the business banker. Had that happened when we were on the outside and we were moving towards the bank, what, my, what would my reaction have been? So many things can go wrong because they don't think about the consequences of their decisions. Yeah. A thousand kids dressed in nondescript clothing, black or white, when you go to um, 
criminology and anatomy school, you get taught that's what criminals do. Yeah, they dress like everybody else so that you can't be picked out of the crowd. It's criminal behavior. And they don't think about the things that they do. Yeah. I had to explain to my daughter the consequences of her not getting her lunch box out of her bag. And I said, you leave it in there and it's in there for a week because it's been holiday. Ten days, yeah. No, I and did the same today. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I said, it comes out. You don't want to wash it properly because you don't have the time for it, so you wipe it out. So you have bacteria growing in there yeah. when you put your new sandwich or whatever it is that you're going to put in there. It grafts to whatever you put in there and you eat it and now it's inside of you. Mm. It makes you sick. And I've got to deal with the consequences of the dumb decision that you that you made. Yeah. Is it fair? It's not. But I think these basic things that young kids should be learning, they should understand that we are not expecting them to know how to do these things because we because we are assholes. We want them to learn how to do it because the moment that they step out of high school they are expected to know these things yeah they expected to know how to run a household they expected to know how to i mean an accident how how to report an accident yeah these are basic and and schools don't teach it because they don't have the capacity they got the stupid caps curriculum which has been Kick to the curb everywhere else, but yay, we are still pushing We're going to make this work. We'll the rest of the world couldn't do it, but we'll make it work. Like everything else, we're going to push yeah. forward. We're going to make this work. It's it's not the it's not the solution that that uh, that I think we should be applying. Yeah, I think we should be looking at more direct ways of educating kids. But now, with this in mind, are we not? the skill set that we're talking about here now these these steps that we that, that a child should know should these steps not be taught in the home not in the school you know for, for in my understanding i would prefer that to be the process so that the the moral standing this the social standing the situation is developed by the family so the family is all on the same page and then the school reiterates it rather than the the, the school teaches it and then we have to fall out of and trying to deal with a different child that's been taught by somebody else with a different moral set or a different social standing or a different concept of what a family should or shouldn't be. Um, so would we not need to make sure that we as the parents are the educators much more than we rely on the schools? The schools teach them how to be taught. We teach them the things that they're really important to be told or taught. I agree with you. I'm a member of the, I'm the chairperson for the, the school governing body. It's something that I preach at these meetings once a month. And I've said to teachers, you don't have the skill set to teach discipline. You don't have the time because you, you're wor working according to a checklist. I've done this, that's cool, I've done that, and I've done that. And you're working according to the speed of the kid who is the quickest in the class, which means that 70% of the kids are lagging behind. Yeah, they're lost. And that's the failure of the system. Yeah. So you're right. It should be taught in the home. But then I get kids who come in, the kid's wrong. 
He's coming for disciplinary hearing. He's wrong. He shouldn't have done that. He fought at school, brought a knife to school. That's what the code of conduct says. And I ask, did you, do you know what the code of conduct is? Because you need to sign it when every term you need to sign it when you come and get, when you come and collect your report. And then I open up his file and I find like ten reports in there, which means his mother or his father never came to school to come collect a yeah. single report. That is dangerous. How, yeah. how how do you how does that parent then teach that child those skills if if they never come yeah. to school to come and collect the report? I think that we started losing those skills when we lost I don't know fuck bro I was I, I'm a 75 baby so I grew up in the 70s and the 80s and there were consequences for everything that we did our parents had basic parental skills and somewhere in the mid 90s when the new wave of parents came about those skills disappeared mm. And we're now sitting with a product, that skill deficit. We're sitting with a with a with the result of it. Yeah, I, I I think that when we stopped being parents and tried to be friends, Amen. I think that is the line. I think that's where we lost the the the, the balance of of society where parents are so busy trying to be friends, and friends don't chastise their other friends. They don't punish them they don't make them do things they don't want to do so if you're being a friend to your child you're actually selling them short you're not teaching them anything mm. you're you're embracing embracing their 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 losses like it's your loss it's not your loss it's their loss and they need to fix it and they need to get over it and you need to help them get over it mm. rather than sharing it and saying I'm, I'm here for you no you're not you're here with me but you're not here for me and I think that's the main thing is we've lost that. We've lost that parents know the consequences and they're not letting their children experience those consequences. 100%. Um, if your child does something and breaks somebody else's stuff and it's fine, I'll just buy them another one. It's not right. Mm. The child must fix that. The child must have the consequences. The child does chores. The child does some kind of labor that pays money back that fixes that child's toy that they broke and, and they broke it on purpose or they broke it because they were jealous or whatever reasoning they did. Mm. I think that that is our loss. That's that time when we had, um, when we stopped being parents. Yeah. And and I, I was, my parents were parents, but the parents of the generation under me, not so much. Mm. And the one after that, not not even close. That's where the friends, the parents were friends. That's and that's the the molly coddle effect. Mm. I'm going to protect you from absolutely everything. Yeah, uh, we've spoken about it before. You create a space where you provide everything that you never had. Yeah, but you are the person who you are because you had challenges in your life. Things you didn't have that you needed or wanted, you worked for. Exactly. But if it's all given to you, they have no value exactly you know the 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 first motorbike i ended up getting it cost me three summers uh three school holidays but you loved it i did um and i rode it to death uh, and i destroyed it 
and I had uh, the best time of my life, mm. 16 to, to 17, 18, riding that bike around. It was the ultimate freedom machine, literally. Uh, but it cost me. I worked every day after school. I, 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 I took change of clothes to school, mission into town, went and worked at the movie houses and usher, worked behind the counter selling slushies and popcorns. And I worked every night, caught the last bus home, you know, did homework between while the movies were on. You need to stop it. You're making me nostalgic. I, I know, but the, the, the nostalgia with that is that at the end of it, I had enough money to almost buy a motorbike cash. But you knew, and you knew the value of money. I, and I worked my ass off for you it. You knew the value. Yeah. But you had, how old were you? 15. Exactly. At 15, you had the skill to go and ask someone for a job. Yeah. And at 15, you had the, the skill to lie about the fact that I was actually 16. another skill. It's a skill. It's a skill. But, but and, and then also to do the job. Yeah, I mean, well, you took responsibility for yeah. the task. These are all things that they should know. Yeah. But by the time they get 18, you knew it at 15. You knew that you needed to save because you had a goal in mind. Yeah. You knew the goal was achievable and it was realistic. You knew that if you stick to the path and you achieved your goal, there would be a reward at the end of it. At 15 years old, you were learning. You were learning eudaimonic happiness, which is something that you learn later on in life as a grown-up, where you say, "Okay, I need to. I want to buy a house, so I need to do these things, and at the end of it, I will have a house." Now, we fucked up the whole thing because we don't. We don't just take the eudaimonic, eudaimonic lesson and run with it be like if i can just get a house i'll be happy that's not how it works mm. that's that's a, a whole other psychopathy that that goes yeah. along with that however you learned that particular skill at 15. there are people today at 25 26 27 30 years old who 40, still 45 45 yeah. we still yeah. haven't yeah they haven't learned that lesson and if we keep on this path, we're going to have situations where generations are not going to know or not going to have these lessons when they need it. We give them expensive cars. You see some of these kids pulling in there with cars that are like north of a million rand. Hmm. And the sense of entitlement is it's palpable yeah you know so but i mean that 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 car as pretty as it is or as fast as it is or as uh, fancy or whatever that there's no value to them because it costs them nothing yeah so they don't care um and you know it's uh, those are the ones that you'll find on the outside of the barrier around the corner because they think their skill set is higher um, and the only reason they're still alive is because the car's got the safety features. Otherwise, they'd be dead. Correct. Um, because there are no consequences. And then the insurance buys them another one and daddy upgrades and then they carry on, which is not, there's no consequence for those people. They don't understand the value of the damage that they're doing um, to their children by not teaching them to earn, yeah. to, to work, to, to do the shit, to... Um, the stuff you don't want to do you just do it you know it's kind of when I was young um, my 
chore was washing the dishes and I hated it. Yeah. And at some point I went, why are you hating on this? You have to do it. doesn't matter. So I decided probably 12, maybe 13 years old, I said, I like doing the dishes. Yeah. And I made that decision to enjoy it. And I still enjoy it. We've got a dishwasher. Load shedding, don't want to use it. I'll use the tap water. We'll wash it. You know, I'll do it by hand. And I have no qualm with that. Yeah. And and very often when we have dinner, or we have a party or people around, that is me winding down is into the quiet place of cleaning the kitchen. I will not go to the bed with a dirty kitchen. Yes. And those are the chores that need, leave it till the morning, they say. And I'm, no, okay, I'm no. no, I need to do this. This is, it needs to be right. Um, and those are the things that I've learned um, for myself, and I taught myself early, is that I don't want to do this, but I'm going to force myself to enjoy it, and now I do enjoy it. Yes. And it's the same with you go out to a meal and they bring you a plate of food and there's some food on there that you don't really like. And 99% of the world will leave that to last. Yes. But the smart people, me included, will eat it first because mm. then I can enjoy the rest of the meal without having the threat of some cuck at the end of it that I really don't want to eat. Mm. So I'll eat it first. So I'll take that out of the play. So it's like, well, there's no stress because I've done it. So now I will move on into the next aspect and enjoy the rest of the meal. Um, but that speaks to your character, I think. I mean, you, you, you're very much a, a stoic in that regard. No one else is going to do it. So I'll just, I'll, now I don't, don't need to worry and listen to anybody complain about it. I'll do it and I'll get it done. Yeah. I read a book years ago. My dad gave me a, a, a biography on uh, Chairman Mao. And one of the things that I, it was underlined in the book. Now you must remember that it's an old book. Uh, it was one of those, uh, not leather bound, but you know the bookman, the old encyclopedia yeah, yeah. in red with a with a black with a gold writing on the black, and you know it's like a, the compendium yeah. encyclopedia, and it was underlined in blue pen. You know the old school, yeah, yeah, Byra. Yeah, it was it was it was was underlined with that, and it spoke about Chairman Mao doing the dishes because his mother believed that it built character. <laughs> And that was my father's favorite saying. Let him do it. It builds character. My dad used to say yeah. the same thing. About uh, just about everything. And I watched my dad on his hands and knees scrubbing the kitchen floor. But I also understood that he wasn't... That's not where his masculinity came from. His masculinity came from the ability to be so, cure, so, so, so secure in, in, in his abilities and in himself that he could profess his love to somebody, that he could hug somebody, that he could cry when there was a movie, that he wasn't so wrapped up in himself that he wouldn't allow himself to do those things. That's where I disagree with um, Stoic Socratic doctrine. So much self-control that you can't feel anything else other than control. And we have kids now who don't know any of it. They don't know control. They don't, don't self-control. They only know what it's like to be controlled by others and they believe that they are in control they yeah. don't know that they are being yeah, yeah. puppeted 
yeah, manipulated in every aspect of their lives. I don't know where we where it ends up, but I'm keen to be part of the solution constantly. You know, I'm keen to be because all of these things that I've learned um, in managing my health and my well-being as I get older. I say these things to my son-in-law, to to my older daughter. Um, I say these things to them because I want them to cop to it earlier. I want them to learn about these things sooner. You know, because they're living as if they live forever. Yeah. They don't understand that that first 18 years, it goes yeah. by like that. And they don't understand that when you're 30 years old, you're actually middle-aged. <laughs> yeah. It's not 40, it's 30. You're middle-aged at 30. So if you are still making dumb decisions at 30, then you're an old-ass motherfucker making dumb mistakes. Yeah, uh, I can't... I, I can't forgive them anymore because you were told you were taught better you yeah. know better so you shouldn't be making those mistakes anymore yeah. I think the the thing with with um, giving the tools to the next generation is that they can have the toolbox they can have everything in it that they need but they forget the toolbox exists oh. they forget to use that knowledge that they've been given and they'll make a stupid decision or they'll make it a, a, a rash decision or something that's purely emotional-based instead of logic-based. And then they've lost. And they go like, Did you, don't you remember I told you about blah, blah, blah? And they go like, oh, yeah, that was a mistake. And that's cool because they get that. But the consequences of that mistake are now going to take as long as they take mm. you know whether you bought a house you can't afford and now the bond rate's gone up exponentially over the last six months the you know the 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 cost of living has gone up the cost of everything has gone up so you spent yourself to get this house at the maximum you could afford and that's now it's costs more yeah and everything else costs more and now you can't afford it so now what are you doing so now your kids are not eating properly you're not buying the new shoes you wanted to get now you feel this so you start to buy on credit and you get further and further and further mm. behind this eight ball of doom and eventually you're going to get wiped off the table by somebody who's going to call in all these debts at once and then you're then you're in trouble yes and then you spend the next 10 years trying to get rid of these debts and and the legal cases is the go with them finally get over it but you're back to zero mm. because you've got nothing to show for those last 10 years. And you had a fancy house, you had all of those things, and now you are starting again. Yeah, And that's the mistakes that people make. But we can tell them, but until they've lived it. And I think that's part of the thing is that we can tell them the very basics of the story, but they have to flesh it out themselves. They have to experience it. They have to oh, live ownership it. Ownership of experience Yeah, exactly, again. yeah. But, but you also mentioned something about knowing something and then forgetting about it and then having to relearn it. That's sort of sort of brought to light and we we're reminded of it by transition 13 the anthony browder yep. poem so true in all aspects it seems to be the human condition yeah where you learn something you forget what you've learned and now you have to relearn it and you're usually taught by somebody else who you taught something by someone else that you've already known yep. you knew you knew the information before and and now you have to be 
taught this information as if you've never known it before. It it seems like it's a you know it's a revolving door. You know it just it it it, it it's perpetuated by our inability just to be. Hey, I don't know everything. I know something, but I don't know everything, and I'm and I'm willing to to learn. I won't let my ego get in the way of of me being in that state of learnership to be immersed in that state of learnership constantly. I don't know what the what the fix is, uh, but I do know that I think um, we have to keep trying. Mm. You know, with, with the young people, I I watch a lot of these videos. I get a lot of it sent to me and and it and it comes across in my emails living in the 80s and going back to the 80s and when, and when I said um, I'm feeling very nostalgic now when you were talking about working at the movie house and and such a simple time though mm. I mean my my uncle worked at the movie house at um, it was called Capri and it was in Heidefeld on the Cape Flats it's where I went to go and watch Greece in 78. First movie I can remember watching. Um, it's where I saw the very dumb version of Spider-Man. I think he had spandex on. Definitely. Definitely spandex. Yeah, definitely spandex. Um, it's where I went to go and watch Superman. And I'm... I'm taken back to that time because I believe it was so simple. But it wasn't, actually. No. There was a lot of things to navigate. I think it was simple because to us it was experience. Yeah. And it was new experience. That was the simplicity of it. There wasn't the, the responsibility of being a grown-up, of having the the bulls, the mistakes, the, the you know, the gout, the, the, the stress, the high blood pressure, you know, those things that we all have now, mm. that, that we didn't have that. And that's why it was simple. As we've grown older, we've, we've packed so much into our suitcases that our suitcases are just heavy. And that's what stops the simplicity. Yeah. If we could get back to that place where you empty your suitcase, make, turn it into a backpack and make it smaller and make it lighter, get rid of all the shit and the, and the mistakes that you've made and try and identify them but let them go um, and then but don't forget them because yeah. that, that you need to keep but don't keep the entire book just keep the page you know the lesson not, not the entire th thesis just the page that you needed to learn and if we can edit our lives we can go back to a simple life I think mm. that is the, the aspect I think we all want to live that that limp, simple life you know sitting on the porch with your 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 whiskey and your shotgun just you sitting on there being quiet and letting letting the world pass you by somewhere in the middle of the Karoo I would think oh lovely be now great. you're talking <laughs> now you're talking no other people there to to pollute the atmosphere mm. uh, unless that person is like minded yeah do you want to sit on the porch do you want to do you want to drink do you want to swirl brown liquid in in a short wall tumbler please do yeah, you don't have to talk. You know, shotgun is optional. Bring your, <laughs> you know, um, but again, to get to that point, you're right. It's ownership of 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 experiences. It's getting kicked in the balls hard by life, and then having the tenacity to get back up and saying, "Okay, that was not fun. Let's try not to do that again." 
that's the underlying 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 um, idea I think is to say that was rough let's not do that again yeah because it tells me that I've learned from Something, that experience yeah. but if you repeat it oh fuck yeah yeah then you're a dumbass <laughs> <laughs> Brother, as you as usual, thank you for joining me. Um, we've we've really come along nicely with with the content. Um, the <laughs> the the gun episode got really interesting feedback <laughs> <laughs> from from some very high people in the South African police services questioning a lot of the stuff, but they could not counter what was being said because it was all true. It's, it's, it's also our opinion. Yeah. Um, and and if, if this is how we see it, it's our truth. Yeah. If, you know, if they, they can blow smoke up our ass and say it wasn't that way, and, but it is, or to us it is. Yeah. So this is how we see it. And that's all we can do. We can tell people how we see life. And I think that's what the benefit of this podcast is. is you get to hear.